Mayfield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. On the road is DLC in Henderson. UNLV basketball game tonight. Runner Rebels with the rodeo in town. Always looking for new, fresh spots to play, and this is about as fresh and as new as it gets. Nice arena, holds 6,000. Uh, you should come out here to watch this basketball game. I know a lot of season ticket holders will be here. They're taking on Hawaii. Gritty team, defensive team. Uh, number is inside of 10, so expected to be a pretty competitive game. And, you know, most importantly, the Rebels are off to a good start, and they're trying to stay unbeaten. Caleb Herring is here. Big day. UNLV football introduces its new head coach, Barry Odom. So we'll get into uh, much of what happened today in a little bit. By the way, welcome in, Reno. I know you have some interest in what goes on with UNLV football as well, uh, based on the cannon and the rivalry. So we'll uh, we'll hear from Eric Harper in just a little bit. We were out there doing live coverage this morning, so we got a chance to uh, sit down for a, a long time with both uh, Eric Harper, the athletic director, and the new coach, Barry Odom, that's coming up. But first, we always start the 4 o'clock hour with the Big Four. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents... The Big Four at four. Number four. We've been through a lot of these, and I know the folks in Reno have been through them. you got Ken Wilson now. you got, you, know, you had Jay Norvell. Steve Alford is in, what, year four. So we've all gone through these coaching things. And I'm always fascinated, Caleb, to hear what guys say when they're introduced at their first press conference, what they say the goals are, uh, because people do not forget. Oh. And this new UNLV football coach came out and said in the press conference, hey, there's an urgency to win. Because a lot of people, you know, with the pass coach, Marcus Arroyo, it seemed like the narrative kind of changed a little bit. I think some of it was confusion, too, because Desiree Reed Francois, who was the AD at the time, was like, onward and upward from Tony Sanchez. Onward and upward. And then COVID hits, and Arroyo's like, well, rebuild, change the culture, blah, blah. You know, just like the message got skewed. So uh, you'll hear me at the beginning of this as we were asking Barry Odom to restate, hey, what's the goal here? They just got rid of a five-win coach. Is the goal to rebuild or win now? Coaches come in here oftentimes and they say, hey, w- w- it's all about winning, sure. right? And then all of a sudden they look at the roster the situation, they're like, oh, boy. And then the, their narrative changes. Um, this is a team that went 1-10 in 10 the last two years in one-score games. Mm-hmm. A lot of close. That means they were in a lot of games. That's right. So I heard you mention there's an urgency to win. Can you explain that to Rebel fans about, you know, when you look at this program, um, you don't expect to go back to two wins and do a rebuild. Yeah, the thing that you know you've got once you make a statement, it's out there. Okay, so now the process and the urgency of building that to make sure you get in those one-score games and you turn the tide in your favor. I'm a firm believer that those things happen on your habits, and they start in the off-season program and they carry out through the summer and spring ball and all those things, because your habits will end up defining you in crunch time. So we've got to make the point where our margin of error is zero okay starting off i get that turnover margin's got to be in our favor we've got to have a tremendous kicking game we've got to take care of the football and we've got to play on defense on being aggressive enough not getting up explosive plays and scores it also comes down to the mindset and the mental toughness of a team and how close we are together to fight when it comes into a moment of you're winning the game or you're losing the game so the urgency for me to get that message to our team uh, has been fast and furious since we started yesterday at 2.30. Yeah, that that message is very consistent when you go back and think about just the initial firing of Arroyo. Um, uh, the, the quickness, I guess, when you go through the, the process of hiring Odom, because um, relatively quickly, especially with coaching searches I've been a part of in the past, 
uh, it's consistent with that messaging. It's consistent with other things that he said during the press conference with saying things like, you know, the, the guys, he doesn't want anybody leaving in the transfer. He doesn't want to lose anybody on the roster. He wants to build. And, and those kind of things are consistent with saying, I want to win now. I want to set the tone immediately. Now, it's, it's a, a high expectation to set. Um, and it could be that that expectation is more uh, of what they want to be, what the destination is going to be, than what it actually is in reality right now. But that that's okay because it's in line with what the AD said. It's in line with what the president said. And I think there's a vision of how quickly that should be happening at UNLV. It's, it, it was a good press conference. I think he hit a lot of check boxes that, that fans had, concerns, obviously, marked a lot of boxes with the AD. Um, but it, the expectations are real, and they're there. And I think a full understanding of that, in that answer, I mean, just saying, you know, yeah, I, I said it. It's out there now. Now i got to go back it up. And that's spoken like a true football player, right? First of all, like, meeting the guys, like, he's football. He's, he's 100% football, his family, all of it. So he understands that it's not just talking the talk and saying the right things. It's now going and putting the work in and making sure that you prove yourself right. Number three. So our first chance to sit down with uh, Caleb, one of our football experts, and uh, really get into the college football playoff matchups in the Final Four. So Georgia is seven against Ohio State. Michigan is down to nine against TCU. I think both of the dogs are live dogs. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. I think looking at the, the, the way that the college football landscape shaped up, looking at the teams that were in contention for being in the Final Four, I honestly think that Ohio State is the best opponent for Georgia. And it, it lines up for something that we can avoid this year that we've had in every, really, that I, when I think back about it, every CFP that we've had since its inception was a terrible 1-4 matchup where the fourth team in was kind of a, a disrespected team. Like, people really didn't think that they had a chance, but, hey, you got them in, they're in the playoff, congratulations, you're the first to get bounced. That was kind of what people looked at that number four spot as. With Ohio State there now, I legitimately think they can upset Georgia. It's going to take a lot to go right. I'm not saying they're, they should be favored or anything like that, but Ohio State beating Georgia would not be a surprise, and that makes that game much more interesting and more entertaining and more more value for, for viewers to actually get in tune with it. Well, the Buckeyes should be fired up for the game because it, you know, of the, the status of the game and, and what's at stake. But the other thing I think Jim Knowles has going for him, the defensive coordinator and the head coach Ryan Day, is they're going against a team that can run the ball, is super physical, has battered people, and Ohio State just got battered. So, from a motivation standpoint, you played the game. What's it like? You know, you come into a, a week of prep, or in this case, you know, like three weeks of prep, and you just got your ass kicked, and it was it was physically kicked. You didn't get out schemed. You got belted in the mouth in the fourth quarter. I think Ohio State should be able to nut up for this one. I don't know what Knowles is going to dial up because a lot of the stuff against Michigan didn't work. Right, and that was the I think one that was the biggest concern of me because you basically admitted in that Michigan game that you weren't the more physical team. And that's from the defensive game plan. Like, you loaded the box, completely left no safeties deep, and dared them to throw it over the top of you. And you, you established that you could only beat their physicality with numbers. I think you learned the lesson of not scheming up, and you do have something to prove. You say, no, we got a chip on our shoulder. We can be tough. We can hold our own in the trenches, if not dominate the trenches if we need to. Like, that should be the tone going on. We're going to play our brand of football, not over-adjust to what we think you're going to do. And I think that was what really kicked him in the butt to start off that Michigan game because, honestly, Michigan took advantage of some big plays in the passing game because of the defensive scheme that Ohio State had, trying to be physical and trying to play outside of themselves to try to stop the physicality of Michigan. Lesson learned. Hopefully they got the chip on their shoulder and they'll come with a different, more base game plan against Georgia. Um, but that, that's that's what we have to see. And I think you should there should be no 
bulletin board material required after losing to Michigan, not getting into the Big Ten Championship. C.J. Stroud on the podium basically in tears trying to trying to make up for what just happened. Those kind of things should be motivation enough. You get a second chance, a second opportunity to prove yourself on a national stage with everybody watching. Do you step up? You should. You have every reason to. Georgia's a different animal than Michigan. I'm, I'm going to say that right now. Like Michigan's physical, but different ball game. Talking about Georgia on both sides of the ball, in the trenches especially. So we'll see. Number two. Update on Jimmy Garoppolo. Turns out he's not down and out for the season, but it is significant because he's on a timetable of 78 weeks that takes you into the playoffs. So the Niners have a quarterback issue. I'm fascinated by the Brock Purdy story because we saw the guy up close here in Vegas a couple times against UNLV, also at the East West Shrine game. Not a big dude, right? And, you know, that's why I think a lot of teams in the NFL overlooked him. But you're talking about one of the best five organizations in football now getting their starting quarterback in the seventh freaking round as Mr. Irrelevant. How is this going to work out? How Can this – I mean, he's an experienced college player. Can this kid actually keep this together and have them finish with 11 or 12 wins? You know what? I think it's possible because of how good the team is. And I think we lose sight of good teams and we focus so much on individual players, especially the quarterback position. And rightfully so, quarterbacks can be special and change games and they're super important, not trying to devalue that. But the Niners are a complete team. Win healthy. Defense is one of the best in the league, right? The offense, they have weapons aplenty, especially with Christian McCaffrey being added to the roster. They don't have to have exceptional quarterback play to succeed in San Francisco. And they've proven that. And while I think I'm a Jimmy G fan, I think he plays the position well, they proved it in past seasons where you don't need the quarterback to be special to get through the playoffs. You don't need him to be, you know, Hall of Fame top 10 quarterback to have success in the NFL if you have the right pieces around him. The Niners are among the teams who have built up a team, in my opinion, the right way and highlighted the right positions um, so that the quarterback isn't as essential as in other situations. So can Brock Purdy do enough as a young quarterback? Uh, he looked confident enough in a winning effort last weekend, right? He was on time with the throws. He didn't put the ball in danger. He made the right decisions, got into the right plays when needed to. So I, I there's no reason he's right confident. now. Yeah, there's he's no, confident. Let me tell you, when I talked to him face-to-face, uh, first of all, I'm not big, and he's not much bigger than me, so good for him that he can play in the NFL at 5'11", 6 foot. But I felt like I was talking to, like, a, I'm not going to say a fellow 50-year-old, I'm 52, uh, but like someone you know who had played football for a long time, like a, a 30-something. So this will be a fascinating watch with Brock Purdy leading the Niners. Number one. Raiders have made a little run here, but now it's go time because now you're within hailing distance of really getting into the AFC playoff race with some help from others. Can they make the run? And I wanted to run this one by you real quick. Uh, Josh McDaniels, he says some interesting stuff at times. Uh, so they get to 5-7, and seven, and he was talking about, you know, kind of this revival. He said, you're not going to be fluent in Spanish the first week that you start taking the class. We've all uh, uh, started to understand things better. Uh, one word can solve a lot of problems on the field, and our guys are understanding that more and more every week as we go. Kind of like, hey, we need a time. I mean, the flip side of this, again, is – there is a first-year coach in Minnesota bringing in a new offense with a similar quarterback in Kirk Cousins. The Vikings are 10-2. and two. Yeah. So that excuse, I mean, while, while yes, I understand the analogy, uh, it's not like football is the language, right? 
it's not like you're just now starting to learn Spanish as a, as a roster. You're you're just getting a new teacher. Like right. you're doing, you may be taking Spanish two now or something like that. It's not. There should be Spanish four yeah. or five. Yeah, and the comparison a, is like I was Spanish. I was learning Spanish and now I'm in Mandarin. Like that that would be like what you're what you're trying to go for. And, that, and by the way, if that's the case, then there's a coaching issue. Absolutely. If, you're, if, you're, if your system is that complicated, exactly. then it's a completely different language. What are we doing here? Exactly. So that if you're if you're at this point, you're in professional football. If your language of football is that vastly different than any other professional coaches, maybe it's time to look inward. That's one thing. Having said that, they can do it. Like, they can win. And we, it's not like they haven't been a competitive team. Like, they're just being blown out of the water. Some of the losses have been terrible. They've led in multiple games or they lost by multiple possessions. They just haven't been able to finish games. That's a learned behavior. As a, as a cohesive unit, as a team, you have to have some sort of belief in what you're doing and the language that's being spoken. So there's some truth to it. Uh, I don't know if I would be laying into that so heavily because you're dealing with a bunch of professional athletes. It's their job to be able to transition to the new coaching staff. It's your job to get them on the same page. So I'm not, while I'm not saying I don't understand there's a learning curve, make it up. Make the difference. You're in games. Win them. And that's what they have to do. They, there's no margin for error anymore down the stretch if they truly want to be in the playoff picture. Let's do a giveaway right now. 364-1100, we got a chance to go see... Vegas Golden Knights right here in Las Vegas against Philly. Should be a raucous crowd. A lot of Flyer fans travel uh, for these games, at least in the past they have. We've got a pair of tickets. By the way, make sure you check out the flight deck, all you can eat and all you can drink. Uh, that is up on our website at lvsportsnetwork.com. But we got a pair of tickets right now. Ari's going to hook you up. VGK against Philadelphia coming up on Friday, 364-1100. Big Ford 4 presented by our pals at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. They've got an office in Reno and also here in Las Vegas. You can call them from anywhere in the state of Nevada, 766-1400. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Yeah, big day here in Las Vegas and, you know, that eternal battle for the cannon. These programs have been kind of topsy-turvy. Uh, Nevada's been the better program consistently, but uh, Nevada after year one, two and ten with Ken Wilson, we'll see where that goes. But he came into a bad situation. UNLV had a guy who was uh, doing okay on the uptick, you know, up to five wins, just won the cannon in Marcus Arroyo. They decided to move on. It wasn't Eric Harper's guy. He wanted to find his guy, and he found him. Barry Odom, new head coach, former head coach of Missouri, is now running the Rebel program. He was introed this morning. Uh, later on our show, we'll have uh, our conversation with Barry Odom. But we sat down with. AD Eric Harper, and had a good conversation, really good conversation. Wanted to find out how uh, detailed the search was. And first thing we got into, and I think this is the same going for uh, Wilson and Reno, these coaches have to get into the community. you got to help sell tickets. you got to build the popularity of the program. And we asked Eric Harper just how important it is for Odom to get out there and build support in the community. Being at Memphis and being in Arkansas, you got to be in the community. At Missouri, you have to be in Columbia. You have to be in the community. And he understands, you know, through, through conversations with me, how much I try to be in the community, how much it's important for all of our coaches to be in the community. And, and I don't care if it's the, the Rotary Club or National Football Foundation event, which we were at last night, which was absolutely awesome because there were so many influential leaders in this community that were at that event last night. And I, I look forward to that event coming back next year again. And to be able to, and, you know, we had an opportunity to, he had an opportunity last night to spend some time with Steve Hill from the LVCBA, which is awesome. You know, so that, that just shows you where we were last night. Gave him a great start into the community itself. 
Director of Athletics, Eric Harper, with us uh, here on ESPN Las Vegas. So can you talk about the process? Because it seemed to be a very tight like process. There was a lot of noise around it, but it seemed like people can't see me. The noise was over here, and you guys were operating over here. Yeah, you know, it was important to me to do as best we could to keep it as tight as we could. Uh, because then you have anybody that you, you're truly interested in, uh, you know, they started reading this over here. I, I took my Twitter app and moved it to the very last page of my phone, so I never saw it. I didn't see it for the last six or seven days. So I didn't have to – I wasn't listening to it. I had people telling me stuff, and I'm like, you know, i I, I got to focus in on finding the best coach for the right time at UNLV. And – I think that's what we did. I believe that's what we did. Can you talk about why it's important to keep it kind of tight-knit in terms of, like, the noise not leaking out and knowing what you guys are doing? Because sometimes you, you, you get people focusing on the, on the outside noise, and they lose, they lose uh, focus on what they're trying to get done. If I was spending my time focusing on the outside noise, then I couldn't be on the phone with a coach or a reference or, you know, whether it's an athletic director, whether it's a former coach, you know, a former boss. I couldn't keep my focus. So I had to keep my focus on talking to the individuals that I was talking to and not worrying about what's going on on the outside. I know the outside matters and I know know it's important, but I had to focus on when I get to coach, then I'll deal with the outside. So let's go back to the beginning of this thing. What was your connect in the past with Barry Odom? I actually worked with his brother at University of Arizona. His, his brother was one of our assistant strength coaches when I was with the football staff at Arizona. So we met, Barry and I met, you know, somewhere around 2008, 2009. Uh, he was out visiting, and, you know, we connected. He, he and his brother and I are, are, are good friends as well. His brother's actually uh, the defensive co- uh, linebacker's coach at USC. So, you know, I've, I've watched Barry from afar since then, and, and, you know, obviously he played at Missouri during his playing days in Missouri, I was working at Kansas State. So, obviously, I saw uh, the teams play when they were, you know, back then they were in the Big 12. Uh, so, I was able to see that and, and be able to watch what was going on. Did you go into this looking mostly for a defensive head coach? No, I went into my eyes wide open. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I found the best possible person. But at the same time, whether it was an offensive coach or a defense coach, I needed to know what they knew and what they were going to bring to the other side of the ball. And then, as he mentioned, that X factor, what are you going to do special teams-wise? Who's going to be on the special teams? Who is your special teams coordinator idea? What philosophy are you going to have on special teams? Because that is a point. All three phases of the game, as we all know, are extremely important to winning and losing. We've got the AD, Eric Harper, here with us. Uh, Cof- I almost said Cofield and Company. Special edition of Cofield and Company. I guess ESPN Las Vegas on the campus of UNO. They used to say that all the time. Um, one last thing on the search, and you guys you certainly can keep, keep with it, but I wanted you to address this one. Because you were so quiet, uh, list got out with a lot of gigantic names. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you were told about some of it. But now what's happened is there's a perception that somehow Barry Odom was like your eighth choice. And I don't think that was the case. I don't believe that was the, the case. So what do you want to tell Rebel fans who were looking at this and they're like, hey, where is, you know, whoever, uh, you know, Ed Orgeron? Um, <laughs> How do you address that? Because that's kind of beyond your control, but I think it's important to address. Yeah, it's definitely beyond my control. But at the same time, what's most important is we, our new head football coach is Barry Odom. That is our focus today. And Barry is, is obviously, he's a quality coach, quality young man, quality father, uh, quality husband, uh, a guy that we are committed to, to. And when we sat down and we talked, you know, it was, you know, and I talked to a lot of people, don't get me wrong, but when you focus in on the person you feel and you know that's going to be the right, I mean, because you're going to talk to most. There's no search in America that's ever been down. You know, I got one guy, not the only person I'm talking to. If anybody tells you that, they're full of crap. Okay. Uh, because that's not the truth. 
Uh, and, I've, you know, I talked to many, many coaches. But at the same time, as we talked to those coaches, when I got down to the end, it was like Barry Odom is my guy. How many coaches got actual interviews? Five. Okay. Six, correct. I'm sorry. Six. Uh, in the end, did you, have to, did you have to convince him not to take the Tulsa job? Were you in competition with other schools to get him? You know, any quality coach, you're always going to be in competition with another school. Anybody of any quality worth their salt, you're going to be in competition with them. And it's, and it's about selling the right things to that coach that you want. And obviously it's reported that they couldn't come to terms. I don't care about what they discussed. That's between them. Uh, all I know is today our new head football coach is Barry Odom. So now that he's here, what's your role as he looks for his staff and builds it? Uh, just giving him the support he needs. Uh, you know, he's still, he's still going to figure out where the restroom is and where the restaurants are and, and, and the library and those particular things and understanding the campus of UNLV. Uh, my role is to support him and what he needs uh, as, a, as, a, as a staff and at the same time, uh, this, my role every single day is to support our coaches in, in the best way possible for them to be successful. When you negotiate deals like this, how big a part of the conversation with a potential coach is the staff and the budget for the staff? Because obviously salaries are skyrocketing for coordinators on down. Yeah, they, they are skyrocketing. But at the same time, you know, uh, tell me what you need and let's come to an agreement. But don't come back a week later, <laughs> two weeks later, and say, you know what, I can't get it done for that. No, you told me this is what you needed. We got make it work. And but if if it comes down to cutting time, then let's sit down and have a conversation, and maybe we can work it out. And we mentioned the portal. Um, who was in contact with players during the search? Were you? I know you met with them at the beginning of the search, but was that kind of just unchecked for a week, or was someone kind of trying to update them so they weren't freaking out, thinking this thing was going to last three weeks? And you know they're they're no, scared no. of the unknown. Yeah, absolutely. Every, every every player in every sport is scared of the unknown. I mean, in life, we're scared of the unknown. But at the same time, you know, Co- Coach uh, Coach Kimwick Thompson was the interim coach, so we communicated with with Coach Coach Kimwick, uh, you know, as much as we could without divulging where we were going, when we were going, and how we were going. Uh, so it was important that we made sure that uh, our the players and when they when they text me directly, then I'm, I'm communicate back to them and make sure that they know that that what I'm doing and what are we doing as a staff is to find the best possible person for them as young men. And with that in mind, how important was it for you to see there were some players here filling up the second and third row? How important was it for you to see those current players showing their support for the hire? Extremely important in the fact that they were looking and watching and very attentive as they were yesterday versus just sitting there just to sit there and be here. Uh, They were just as attentive yesterday when he spoke to them as they were this morning. And that is important because they're hearing that same consistent message that they heard yesterday. And I think one of the biggest things that I took from it, and we, we all looked at each other and kind of like, whoa, that's a big statement, was the statement my coach Odom about keeping the players here, not wanting to lose a single player. You don't often hear that. We've had examples nationally, even with Dion. You tell them, hey, hey, pack your bags. You might want to be gone. Very different messaging, right? So the fact that that statement was made and those players are hearing that message, how in line is that with your vision on this being a stepping stone up rather than a rebuild? Yeah, absolutely. He, he, that statement is about making sure there, there's good players in this program. There is no question in my mind there's good players in this program. Why not keep the foundation? Why not keep the nucleus of what you have here? versus trying to start all over. And by no means can you go out and recruit another 85 players. Uh, <laughs> you know, So let's take that good nucleus, a Doug Brumfield, an Aiden Robbins, making sure that those guys know how much this new coach is committed to them 
not only as players, but as young men beyond those days. Was that part of your interview process when you were talking to candidates in terms of like their vision of keeping players uh, on this current roster? Yeah, as, as we all know, the transfer portal is absolutely nuts. A thousand plus guys in the portal after 24 hours is, is amazing. But at the same time, those coaches, you know, his vision of making sure there's a good mix and a good balance of high school as well as transfer portal guys, you know, like he talked about that immediate need. If I immediately need a left tackle, and I'm just speaking out, uh, not saying we need one, but if if I need that immediate need at a left tackle, I'm going to go find one in the portal to play right now because i got to protect that quarterback. In Doug's case, if he's the quarterback, Doug's left hand, i got to find that right tackle, you know, and i got to find that, that tight end. You know, i got to find those guys that's going to be, be, be my outlets, uh, and i got to find that linebacker that's going to be my quarterback on defense. There you go. Eric Harper spoke to the AD today at the Barry Odom press conference. That was a new hire of the UNLV football coach. Caleb Herring is here. Uh, you were on that conversation with me. So give me some of your reaction to what Harper was saying. I, I think one of the first things is the confidence that he has in him. I, I think you can see that he he feels that he did his due diligence and he feels like he made a good hire. I, I feel like he thinks he made a home run. So that that is number one that you feel when talking to to Harp at, in the in these moments after the hire has been announced, and um, with his address and his statements, you can also see how in line the thinking is. Whether or not that is um, a, a very much uh, a very much projected and imagery thing to just sound like you're on the same page, it definitely went into it, and that's a big part of it going in. And I think. He feels like he's in a good position going forward with his vision as the AD. It's in line with the head football coach. More conversations, more reaction to UNLV's new football coach coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. But up next, big story of the day in baseball and sports, Aaron Judge sticking around? Really? The New York Yankees had a fold on this one. They knew and they understood how big Aaron Judge is to the franchise. They're going to have to definitely now understand that they're going to have to lean on a lot of their young players moving forward, and they're hoping that what happened in Houston with Jeremy Pena could happen again in New York with their young stars. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Well, that's a big story of the day is uh, Eduardo Perez on Get Up talking about Aaron Judge and what was going to happen here and the race between the Giants and the Yankees turns out to be a Yankee victory. $360 million deal on the table yesterday, and I started flipping out. I'm a Yankee fan, but I also, for the good of baseball, I would have been okay with Judge going to San Fran, and frankly, the Yankees will go and get other players. Just that they have They have – you know, as many resources as the 10 or 12, you know, big powerhouse financial teams uh, in Major League Baseball. But um, they did what was right. I said, I was saying yesterday, Caleb, if the offer is 360, my guess was it was like a 10-year deal, which is tremendous yearly money. I said the Yankees have enough money. Give them a six-year deal. Give them $60 million. I don't care. It's not my money. You guys are flush with cash. Pay the guy. I think the funnier thing about it was that Everybody knew you had the money all along. Like when you when it was before the season and there was the drama about him holding out or not coming to an agreement with the contract. It's like why are you not paying that man? Like what you of all the franchises in the franchise history of history of franchises, you have the money. Like you you can pay him what he thinks he needs. And it, it wouldn't have been very risky for you to do it. Like and I'm sure it wouldn't have been three sixty before the season. 
She's going to be more, what was it, 215, 212 before the season that they couldn't agree to? Like, there's a, a, that's a it, big gap to, to jump yeah. all of a sudden. It was a seven-year, $213 million deal. They revealed the details, I think, to try to shame Aaron Judge, make him look bad, and that, that's baseball tradition. Baseball ownership loves doing that. Yeah. Uh, denigrating their own product, which is amazing. And, by the way, it's also part of the reason that baseball is still popular but not as popular as the NBA and, and the NFL because they always want to play these games. Yeah, they went from seven years and $213 million, so what, a uh, yearly average of just over $30 million to $40 million for nine years. And a lot of that was prompted by the fact that he did play a full season and he did hit 60-plus home runs. But for me, the biggest thing that was an insult is not only doing it, but doing it to that guy. Right. Aaron Judge seems like a good kid. He, he's not publicly embarrassing you as a franchise. He's He's – and the biggest market, debatable, L.A. And, and New York, obviously, but he's been a, a good representation of your franchise in the time he's been there. Why the hesitance to make him at least you know look good? Now, credit to Aaron Judge. This is the part of the story that's, that's player-friendly. Betting on himself, which is a risk, huge risk. Not just betting on yourself, but coming through individually. I mean, you didn't bring the World Series home, but individually, having the year he did, now you put the Yankees in a position where $360 million is not just paying for what he could be, not for paying for him to bring you a trophy in the future, but you now have to pay him for what he did. Like, 100%, this has a lot to do. That, that 360 number, $40 million a year, it's because he had one of the best individual seasons ever. And he did that betting on himself, which is, is risky. It's, anything could have happened in this past season. Um, and, and he came through. And now the Yankees have to kind of eat crow and say, hey, here, well, here you go. Now, regardless of if he succeeds, if it's a good thing going forward, if it's like he brings a World Series, what the rest of the roster ends up looking like um, after you spend so much money on him, regardless, he wins. He, 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 he got you. Like, he won the deal, and you now look like a bunch of horses' asses. By the way, you're already setting me up for future rants on the Yankees and, <laughs> and the, the next-level Starmenters being all cheap and wanting to hold on to the money, unlike their dad, George, who just wanted to win and would spend money. If I hear one blank in time this entire run of the next nine years that they have roster limitations because of a budget, there ain't no budget. I heard uh, Doug Gottlieb you know, driving around this morning, our sister station here in Vegas is Fox Sports Las Vegas. I heard Gottlieb talking about the Dodgers, and, and one of the guys on the show was saying, oh, the Dodgers you know, are trying to get below the th- – why? There's no, no threshold. You're in L.A., you're in New York, you're one of the 10 or 12 biggest markets – Spend, 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 just like the Phillies did, right? Phillies are like, hey, Trey Turner's available. Let's go get him. 766-1400 is the uh, anywhere in Nevada number. Give uh, Battleborn Injury uh, Lawyers a call now if you need help. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. We're at one of the brand-new arenas in Las Vegas, the uh, Dollar Loan Center in Henderson. We're up in the press box. It's a corner press box. Relax, Caleb. I know you got very mad at <laughs> San Diego State for building a box in the corner where you had to watch football. I thought that was fine. Uh, but I wasn't up there. I was on the field. I do sidelines. Um, one of the interesting things here at DLC is it's, first and foremost, a hockey arena. There's a football team that plays here as well in the Nighthawks. Do you notice up top near the catwalk, and this is a one-level arena with um, 6,000 seats and then a small rim for luxury boxes, why are there TVs up near the catwalk up top above us? That's kind of interesting, right? There's like two big-screen TVs 
you know, the scoreboard here has a great, uh, you know, four TVs around it, high def, all that. Why do you think those TVs are up on top of the arena? Does, like, do staffers, like, hang out on the top know. catwalk above and, and get to watch the game from there? I, it, I don't see it as a benefit to the luxury boxes. They, they, they run are, the entire length. There's like 12 TVs that that run the entire length yeah. of the court in this instance, or the entire, all the way at the top of the building. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know who enjoys that from a fan perspective. Like they're the luxury boxes have their own TVs, uh, and even if you're sitting out in the open airs, the they they covered the floor with the center screens that are massive, right? So I don't see who's enjoying viewing those TVs. These are like like maybe what do you think, 60 inch TVs up there? It's not like it's not like they're massive TVs, but I mean, it's nice. I'm glad they spent the money. It's yeah. uh, some bonus TVs. It's a touch. And, it's a touch. Uh, it brings back memories of, and you're going to laugh when I say this. I went to the Bell Center in Montreal, which is, I think, the biggest like indoor arena I've ever been in. Right. Hockey is massive in Quebec and in Montreal. That place holds, I think, twenty three six. Right? There's only a couple of basketball arenas in the U.S. that hold about as much or more. And that's what I remember. I think they had TVs upstairs. But, I mean, it. the media ring, there's an upper ring. We were so high up. I was like, thank God for the TVs. But I'll tell <laughs> yeah. you, when you were walking the catwalks, and San Jose has this too, um, and their arena is a lot smaller. But when I was walking the catwalks, I, like, I don't usually get height affected. But I was like, holy crap. And I'll also say the the best screens I've seen in person – I don't know how many stadiums and arenas you've been to recently. Mm-hmm. Is there a place you've gone to and you're like, oh, my God, that big screen is unreal. Have you been in the Al yet? Have you been in Allegiant? Yeah. Okay. I've been in the Al. Why did I just say that? <laughs> I, I was kind of thinking like a Raiders game <laughs> yeah. as a fan. No, I've been, um, I've been as a Raider fan, yeah, too. So obviously yeah, so UNLV plays there. Yeah. Um, I think the screens there are decent, but they didn't have the ability to do what SoFi and Jerry World did right. where they could hang one from the ceiling because they've got a little bit of a different roof on it. The... The screen at Jerry World is unbelievable. It runs to 20 to the 20, and it's the most high-def thing you've ever seen. And the other thing is when you sit upstairs, you're so high up. I remember I actually went to the first uh, regular season game there. I think it was against the Giants. And I remember after the game, I'm like, I think I looked down on the field like 15 times the entire game. Right. Because it's- the screen is so awesome. SoFi has a ring. I've sat upstairs at SoFi, same thing. Like, you hardly look down on the field because yeah. the HD is in front of you and the screen is so big. And that's I think I think that's where Allegiant Stadium probably missed a little bit because of that that high tech. I I don't know what the exact science the exact science of the roof fixture is, I, but that's why they couldn't do something like that. But I think that is important to talk about how influential or amazing the quality the image quality is at Jerry World. They actually have, uh, and I've seen this because I, I'm a YouTube gamer watcher. I watch these guys. They have actually played video games on that mega screen where it's like they live stream playing video games because it's that clear of a quality. Like, they can do it because it's that good. Um, I, so stadiums that I've been in, that would be number one as far as the quality. I haven't been inside of SoFi for a game yet. Um, I'm kind of trying to wait till ticket prices go down and not trying to, you know, spend that much as a, as a fan. And that's, that's where I go as a fan most of the time. Um, and that's how I experience Allegiant as a fan. Now, the experience is great at Allegiant, but the screen quality, I think, is one thing you miss. Having that screen right in the middle of the action so it's not like, you know, in a corner somewhere back where you maybe don't have the best seat to watch. Um, that, I think, takes a little bit out of the experience. But these screens, talking now back to these little tiny screens here at, at the DLC, I, I can't find the purpose for them, but 
I will say I would <laughs> rather go to an arena where there's Oh yeah, there's, there's too unnecessary. Many TVs in right, here. yeah. That to, for that to be the complaint, then to be like, I can't see from my nosebleed seats. So how do I get a better view of the action? How do I get to see it? They have the answer for you here at DLC. Uh, Allegiant Stadium, unfortunately, the answers are a little bit harder to find. Um, but there's more about that stadium that's that's awesome uh, than just the screens. If you listen to the show on a regular basis, you can hear at times how scatterbrained I am. Like I just asked. Caleb, who's the color voice for Rebel Football, <laughs> they play at Allegiant. I'm like, have you been in this stadium yet? Because um, I was thinking back to that stadium experience of going to the Raiders game this last weekend. I was sitting about 20 yards, check that, 20 rows off of the field in one of the corners. And, you know, it was it was cool, really good view. And I I, I actually watched a lot of the screens at times when the ball went to the, the opposite end of the field. My whole long story there was because I was looking at the scoreboard screen here and I thought of the Bell Center. The Bell Center – the Canadians Arena actually has the biggest indoor screen I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like it was crazy how big that was. I'll, I'll, I'm going to go down one more distracted path. I want you to look down here as they're getting ready for the game, and they were just doing the sound check. Good, good speakers here. They were like maxing them out. Yeah, there's a woman down there salting gigantic pretzels. We're off the air in a minute, a uh, minute, an hour and five minutes. This is going to be tough. Because I'm a pretzel guy, and look at the look at the size of these freaking. They're things. massive, and she. I I already peeped game uh, while you were talking. Uh, that those pretzels are on my list too. I'll be making a visit with her. She. What's her name? We got to get her name. Salting it up. She's 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 she's, pretzel she's, up here. she's getting the pregame uh, pretzel salting going, and it it looks fantastic right now. And I'm I'm all for it. It. This is an intimate arena, right? It's not huge. But it gives me all the vibes that I want, and the pretzel is a part of it. And so, whoever that young lady is down there salting pretzels, Steve and I will be down there. You know, we did a thing during football, broadcaster bites. Does we, this make you know the what? list of broadcaster bites? If, yes. If you get down there. Yes. And by the way, we got to get back to that um, ASAP because I've I've been on a couple of road trips and I've got some food to talk about. Um, it is something I start. I need to start adding to the sideline reports I do. Because we love food, and I actually want to carve out a niche as the chubby jackass who tries food in every arena. So I was, in, I was in San Diego at the Jenny Craig, and I didn't need it, but I went to the snack bar there, and I was like, oh, they have a hot dog special, a hot dog, chips, and soda for 8 bucks At a game, I'm like, okay, that's pretty cheap, especially yeah. by Vegas prices. So I, I, don't know, I don't know if uh, John Sandler and, Ke- and uh, Curtis Terry will accept my pretzel talk, but I think they might. Yeah, and I, I'm going to shoehorn it into the game, so I'm hoping Hawaii isn't as competitive as I think they will be. So back off, Hawaii, so I get my pretzel talking. Yeah, I, I think it's an important topic that shouldn't go, shouldn't go unnoted. Is First, there's a difference, and I want to ask you about it because you do sideline for both. There's a difference between acceptable football snacks during a game and basketball snacks, isn't there? Like what? What's what's the difference if there is one? And I mean, I, the I, first thing is, it's the logistics of football stadiums. Yeah, it's a little harder when you're on the field to get to the food right. because the stadiums are so freaking big. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get that in if I'm if I'm rehired. Who knows? It's a year to year contract. Um, I'm gonna make that part of the deal. Like, are you are you saying there are unacceptable meals to talk about? Well, I, not just to talk about, but just as a fan to 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 experience. Like like. You have to get nachos. That's like an acceptable universal thing. But I think we've gotten to a point, and I I don't want to sound critical, where we're kind of bougie with our our concession stand 
uh, items. Are like, you saying us or in general? In general. In general, as, it's as, as, crazy. It's getting ridiculous. What I they don't had mean, at the San Diego State concessions, it's and ridiculous. good for them at Snapdragon, uh, it was so off the charts. I love. Like, I don't know that I need to be sitting. Uh, sitting. The other thing is, it's a, it would be a little weird for me to bring down snacks on the sideline as guys are busting yeah. their humps and limping <laughs> off the field Just and injuries are being checked. And, yeah, like, and they're like, is that guy eating sushi <laughs> eight feet from me? Like, it's, it's a third corner. I'm hungry. Yeah. I got to play. You're having sushi. It's, so that's, I, think, I think the bouginess of, of the expectations of fans. There was a time where it was like nachos, fully loaded maybe nachos. Pretzel is up there. There are some things you get at the concession stand. You go back to your seat and you sit down and you eat. Now it's like you got full-on meals that come with like an assortment of silverware. Like it's like you got fork and knife, like like you said, sushi. Like San Diego State, there's the pork belly like place, the California barbecue. It's like how can you really enjoy a football game while you're 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 trying to slop down a full barbecue menu? Like it, is that going too far? Are we doing too much with the with the concession stands here? Probably not going far enough though. For the average fan, for the price you get, you know, you pay to get in. I mean that's true. Hey, you know what? I want to eat good food, and what I don't want if you're going to charge, you know, twelve to twenty three dollars for food. I don't want a ten dollar hot dog that you know with nothing on it is like a lead pipe. Yeah, like I, don't do that to us, right? That, like That's you deserve worst. better when you when price of admission and the price of these that they're charging at the concession stands. We need quality. First of all, those pretzels are quality. I, look, the fact I don't need binoculars like from up here to yeah. look at them. They're huge. They're massive. They're almost as big as their head. That's we're, I mean we're that's fantastic. Have to share that. <laughs> it's great. I so love that. You keep, as, you as keep the pretzel food. on uh, press row, and I'll just come over and, and kind of break off a couple pieces here and there. <laughs> That'll work. I'll we'll, do it. We'll offer some to the broadcast crew. Um, five o'clock hours on the way. We'll talk more about and actually to Barry Odom, the new UNLV football coach. But I wanted to get to the the Raiders and this five and seven mark. Now they were left for dead three weeks ago. They're not in the playoff race officially. They're alive. But what do you think of teams in front of them? Bengals eight and four. Dolphins eight and four. Jets seven and five. Patriots six and six. Chargers. Six and six. I feel like the Jets, the Patriots, and the Chargers could all hit the freaking skids. Yeah. I, I if that's a seventh spot and it takes nine wins, then the Raiders have to kick ass down the stretch here. There's really no margin for error. But I'm not worried about, like, the Jets, the Patriots, the Chargers finishing strong at all. No, and I think that's, that's the key is can the Raiders finish strong while other teams stumble? And you look at the way it's lining up with the Ravens situation – with Mar Jackson and his health and, and being up in the air. And unfortunately, the Bengals are, are kind of hot right now. Are the Browns going to figure it out in the AFC? Can they be a factor in the playoff picture? Because, it, I mean, you know, the Sean Watson narrative is obviously out there now, but can they really be a factor going forward? Then, more importantly for the Raiders, the AFC matchups that they have left on the schedule, being the Patriots and the Chiefs being the big ones. They play the Steelers as well. But the Patriots and the Chiefs are, I think, the two teams that they have to win those games to make up ground against them. Now, I don't think they catch the Chiefs. It's just, I'm not saying that. But to to muddy up the picture, you have to win those games. The Patriots are in a couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, you handled business against the Chargers, I think was a massive win for this reason. Not just winning games for yourself, but ruining other teams who are in contention. And I think the Patriots are in contention right now. Can you knock them out of the picture? Are the Jets for real with with White? Are they are they a real deal playoff team with White? I don't think so. I don't know that they can be, especially coming out of that division. But those are the kind of teams that the Raiders are going to have to knock off, I guess, or hope that get knocked off. Um, and can they massacre the rest of the schedule? Can they muddy up the picture and sneak in while they take care of their own business? 
everything has to go right for the Raiders. They're not in control of their own destiny, obviously, uh, as far as getting into that wild card spot and really being in the hunt. Um, so some things have to happen across the league. It's a crazy league. I, I don't think, you know, outside of a couple teams, the Chiefs, the Bills, uh, the Eagles this year, who else has been really solid as far as you believe they're going to be there at the end? I mean, it, anything can happen. The Raiders have to first focus on taking care of business. It starts with the Rams, who look like they're kind of throwing the white flag uh, in the season. Signing Baker Mayfield, okay. Uh, Donald's out, uh, uh, according to reports this week, so he's not going to be there. The Rams should be a winnable game. Are you going to win it? Are you going to take care of your own business? Yep. Rams tomorrow. We'll have that on uh, Raider Nation Radio 920 and also Comp 92. Three and keep in mind the Bills, eh, rock solid. But Von Miller just went down for the season. They discovered a torn ACL on some exploratory surgery. Reno, you're out, but you can listen to the whole show every day. The archives at LVSportsNetwork.com. It's all brought to you by Battleborn Injury Alert.